wrong with this thing? What's wrong with this thing? I think it's busted. Busted. All right, what's good, ladies, gentlemen, those beyond the binary, poets, perverts, explorers of all kinds, soul brothers, twisted sisters, mamas and papas, creepy uncles, walking to bust mouth on Q4 Radio every single Monday from 12 p.m. to 2 p.m., a show about rock and roll, sticking it to the man, your big stupid feelings, and streaming around the world on Apple Radio, TuneIn app, 1680 AM in Chicago, and of course, QUE4.org. Shots, I'm J.W. Basillo, your host as always. What's cooking, good looking? You feeling the chill? You feeling good? You feeling the burn? You feeling the uh, ooh, spooky Halloween season thing that is going all over the TV that makes me go, holy shit, it's getting dark outside so early that I somehow miss summer? Oh no, I don't. I didn't. I just don't remember it being summer because I've been inside with my big groundhog day energy all the time what's happening to us um and what's happening with you i don't know i've lost all sense of time but here we are in america uh first things first bit of housekeeping i know i know i've been alluding to it i've been alluding to new developments for a while and um they're they're coming so this show is going to be a little bit different uh structure wise not this episode obviously because you're listening to it uh but (laughs) structure wise the thing there are going to be some some things that are going to change a little bit going in the future, but uh, the big announcement is this. I am releasing a network or a media company or a very over-complicated multimedia magazine. I guess you could shoehorn your way into that description if you wanted to. But anyway, it's called Shame the Devil, as in the old Anglican come American Southern phrase, tell the truth and shame the devil. Uh, It's going to be a collection of podcasts to start, and then we'll quickly include essays and articles direct to camera and live performance video and whatever the hell else I feel like publishing. Why? Why not? Um, a bunch of people were like, hey, your podcast doesn't sound like garbage, and uh, you've done a bunch of episodes. Can you help me do a bunch of episodes? I need a new outlet, and I've been locked in my house. And I was like, sure. And I said this three different times inside of about a week, and then the light bulb above my head went off, and I went, hold on. I'm going to help these people, but I want to make this way more complicated and labor-intensive than it has to be. And oh, what if I create a whole network for no money? And that's uh, how Shame the Devil Media was born. Why? I don't know. Well, why the title? I, I don't know. It's it, it's rock and roll, and I like the word devil. But it's rock and roll, and uh, the title is uh, the same title of a song that I really liked when I was in my youth. And then also, uh, I recently saw Monique Hart say it on Drag Race, and I went, huh, that's funny. I didn't realize people actually use that phrase, like in common parlance. And I looked it up, and I went, oh, my God. It was just, uh, and then I couldn't stop saying it, and here we are. It's an aphorism about telling the truth predicated on a lie and what's more modern america than that Woo! uh well ill-regulated capitalism but other than that nothing uh we're going to <laughs> we're gonna soft launch uh october 28th i believe we soft launch october 28th uh with a show called woke field it's a sweet valley high podcast that's right i said it sweet valley high podcast uh by a bunch of busted mouth alums including yeah, Adrian Gunn and Elizabeth Gomez, the primary hosts. It's quite funny. They they read a different uh, Sweet Valley High book every single week and bring in a diverse array of comedians to giggle about how this one book series completely warped the sexual politics of an entire generation. Hilarious. No, seriously, though, it is. It's a lot of fun. We've already recorded a few episodes. We're doing another one today. Uh, it's It's been a blast. It really is a lot of fun to listen to. Um, that show goes live alongside this one October 28th on the normal Wednesday midnight release. Every 
everywhere podcasts are found. Most of the places, probably. And then after that, it will be Twitchy Traveler from uh, also an alum, Tim Stafford, where... Uh, he and I, but specifically him, I, I just I'm kind of there to co-pilot. Uh, but he talks about a whole bunch, talks to and with uh, a whole bunch of people in rock and roll and the like about their travel experiences, their travel nightmares, tips. Uh, we are we've already spoken with uh, someone who was a roadie for a bunch of famous rock bands, someone who is the world air guitar champion, uh, a WWE professional wrestler, uh, a bunch of other things. So we talked to a bunch of folks uh, about traveling and and all that, and it's it's basically just a, a fun way to hear about the world and specifically to. I've really enjoyed hearing stories about places that I, we may never visit again because we may live on this this continent and never leave it uh, ever, ever again. But anyway, uh, rounding out the lineup for the first season will be Foxtrot, a human geography podcast, uh, and that is the full title. But Foxtrot is coming from our old... Uh, our old friend, our occasional first mates, Nick Fox. Uh, you heard him over the summer, this or not this summer, but last summer. Hold, that was a year ago. Anyway, last summer you heard him a lot. Um, if you could imagine the show, it's a, imagine like a no reservation style show, uh, as told by a novel writing, Steinbeck reading, good record collection, having tall shipmen because that's what he does. And Nick is Nick's terrific. And he's uh, gonna. He's just. He's got some good stories, and it meets with a lot of people. So it'll be part interview and part essay, and you know. It'll be what it'll be, and I'm excited about it, but that'll be the fourth one that we premiere that should premiere before the end of this year. So, you know, we're going to crawl before we can walk. We'll slowly develop the podcast, roll out the website, work in the video, get the subscription service going, uh, publish essays, get huge, get sued, get drug habits, go to rehab, get into Tabala, and then two years later, we'll all uh, have worked that out. Uh, (laughs) Is it a lot of work? Yes, uh, of course it is. Do I have the time? No. But what else am I doing? So... You know, I, I guess besides starting a new job and building a doomsday shelter, I haven't told anybody about yet. Anyway, content will be uh, free primarily. Well, let me rephrase it. There will be there will always be free content available, but not everything will be free all the time. So we're going to follow a, a subscription service eventually, not right away, but eventually we'll have a subscription service and certain paywalls and blah, 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 just like anything. Um, I'm getting ahead of myself, but shame the devil. It's uh, a bunch of good writers and smart people and funny humans. Uh, talking about serious shit but don't take themselves too seriously that's the whole point and uh, i figured there were so many different avenues and there's so many different people creating me- media content and it's just out there it's it's it all exists and uh, i don't know i've always been a diy type rather than lining up to be a radio dj i was like to hell with it i'll just I'll, I'll find a place where i could just be a radio dj on my own rather than um uh, auditioning for plays i wrote my own you know that's just how i've been and so i figured you know rather than hanging out hoping that you know my essays get published now i have a place to stick the essays and now i have a now i have a you know tall ship tall ship i'm talking too much about it now i have a high tide to list all the ships that's what we're doing making great take myself super seriously and speaking of taking myself super seriously whoo hot segue uh let's talk about last week's coming out day announcement uh for those of you who are confused just want to clarify a couple things so in case you haven't been paying attention to this show at all or uh, paying attention to the show with with a very specific type of uh, filter over it. Um, I do believe that based on empirical data and anecdotal evidence across thousands of years of of mammalian behavior, uh, I believe that sexuality is a spectrum. Uh, gender is too, but that's a different conversation. Um, but as it exists in men, you know, there's there's obviously straight. Uh, I'm into women. That's all I'm into, except for maybe that one time at work where someone said something about you know naked wrestling, Jason Momoa, and I was like, I don't know, I don't really understand how I feel about that. But otherwise, that's it. Straight 
women, straight. That's who I am. Uh, and then there's gay, right? Uh, I'm into men and men only. I maybe did some stuff with girls in high school for the sake of research and appearances. And Michelle Rodriguez maybe asked some questions about myself during those Furious movies. But no, it's gay, strictly dickly gay this is who i am and everyone seems to believe not everyone obviously but like a lot of people in the world seem to believe that that's the that that is the uh that's the binary right it's this one or this one and then a bunch of weirdos in the middle who are 50 50 in the middle and we call those people bisexual and i just don't think that those two spectrum ends are really real but even if they are uh i exist somewhere in the in-between i don't know where um it's to various degrees, sometimes depending on the day. I've always been this way, but I also got the hints at a very early age that no, no, bad. And uh, I just kind of, I, I just kind of went with it. I just thought, okay, I, I must be confused, so we'll just stick that thing over here, and I will uh, keep to the thing that won't get me beat up and doesn't upset my family members. Just push it down, push it down. Trash can getting full. Get my foot in there. Push it down. And you know what? Not a good look. Uh, repressing all that, it, it made my life worse and made me a worse person in a big, cyclical, systemic way. I'm not going to get too far into it, but really it did. It made me, a, like having to deny an entire part of myself for so long really made me a worse person. It it just did. It just absolutely did. And that sucks. That sucks to live with. Um, and here's the kicker. There are a lot of people like me. Lots. Lots, 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 even in your family. In, and, and the sooner we all have the I am Spartacus moment, Tony Curtis reference uh, is not lost to me here, but once we all have this I am Spartacus moment, uh, the sooner we can just let people live and stop ruining everyone. And uh, that's why we have National Coming Out Day. In case you didn't know, that's why we have it. Why do you need it? That's why. That's why. And yes, I know how very millennial these new generations are making up new identities all the time. I had some woman in the office where I work now say that the other day and I overheard it and I didn't throw anything at her, but I wanted to. But and look, I agree. It would seem that way that like this new generation of millennials and zennials or whatever the um, they are all uh, we're creating all these new identities and have all these new terms and new words. And it would seem that that is true if psychologists and doctors and anthropologists and biologists hadn't been documenting this behavior for literally hundreds of years. La 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 la. Can't hear you. That's the one Liam Neeson movie I haven't seen. So here we are. Uh, this is where we are. We've named the puppy. Aren't you glad we've named the puppy? Isn't it so interesting? Isn't it such a big deal? Uh, aren't you so glad you could just admit that Jason Momoa thing? Um, no, it, for me, it was like, it was something that I, I just, uh, I, I didn't talk about for even with, you know, I lived with mostly gay people and I still didn't talk about it. It was just something, you know, like, I, I, I just didn't deal with and I, I denied and denied and then it would, you know, denial, uh, repression, like my, like my, my psychologist, uh, my psychology teacher in high school taught me like repression is is just basically it's like holding a beach ball underwater like you're holding the beach ball under the water and then uh, occasionally it slips and then it goes and rockets out of the water and then you're just trying to hold it back under there and that's kind of how it felt so like my that was what my life was doing uh, in in the sexuality regard and uh, it sucked. It wasn't cool. Then now uh, the the puppy's been named. I first started talking about it on stage uh, just randomly. I was drunk and very depressed and was just like, this is what's coming out of my mouth today. And that's what came out of my mouth that day. And then I started kind of slowly talking about it with other people. Um, you know, my partner's queer and like, you know, so there's just a lot of things we talked about. So, um, yep, now it's on the radio show. So now it's official. Now it's really official. Now there's no getting away from it. Um, it's just a phase. I'm kidding. Uh, look, this is where we are. 
and uh, it, it, you can admit things and you can live your life and you cannot burst into flames. Jason Momoa is not going to necessarily show up on your doorstep going, are we doing this? Although that would be cool. Uh, but for Futterman's sake, like the world is on fire and millions of people are going to die uh, just like just like who you like. Just do what you want to do. Love who you love. Like who you like. Let other people like who they like. Just be yourself and shut up and pass the vape pen and wear the extra shotgun shells. We don't have time for all of this extra bullshit. Uh, if you build it, we will come. And if you build it, she will come. Ha! Andy Strickland, uh, who, who, woo, super slick. Andy Strickland, who uh, Emily Rose and I discussed on air a couple weeks ago. She hit me up and she's like, I heard your show. I'm going to be in Chicago in a couple weeks. And a couple weeks is here. So she's going to be in studio today. I'm really looking forward to talking to her. I have not spoken with her in years. Um, but she was an important part of the Chicago poetry scene uh, in the time in which I was coming up and was very important, uh, was one of those instrumental figures uh, in, in my life. And I, I certainly owe her some gratitude. And uh, yeah. You know, we're going to talk about uh, contributing to an art scene and getting your shysa together enough and, and publishing a thing that we've been putting off. And, and, you know, probably we'll talk a little inside baseball about Chicago literary scene in the early 21st century. <laughs> Stick around. It's going to be a good one. Let's get into some rock and roll. Bonkers. Oh, man. Uh, welcome back to Boston Mouth on Q4 Radio, QUE4.org, 1680 AM in Chicago. You've heard me say it a million times. Uh, it's it's a weird day. Those of you who are listening live, I apologize. We had some tech issues, and we were bouncing between two different audio clouds. So uh, those of you who went from like, hey, rock and roll, to uh, some strange world music that I couldn't hear through the monitor, and then we went back to this uh, odd bit. This song was uh, Miyamoto, or excuse me, Burn slash Build from Miyamoto is black enough, um, a really fun multi uh multi polyrhythmic multi eclectic sort of uh outfit fronted by our our friend Roger Bonaire Agard who uh was the person not the person who uh, brought myself and my guest together but certainly was an important part of our relationship it's a weird thing we're going to get into uh you heard me talk about it a little while ago we're uh, a little while ago with um Emily Rose a couple weeks ago those of you who uh, listen religiously i certainly appreciate it but anyway my friend is here we're going to talk about this song and we're going to talk about a bunch of things um but first say hello Andy Strickland hello there you are there's your mic can you hey wonderful it's so uh, talk right into that microphone. Right into it. Yeah, hey, let okay. me, all right, good. Can you pull it a little up, pull up a little bit, get a pull little Pull it close. toward me, I'm scared of it. Okay. It won't hurt you. It won't, okay. Yeah. Is that good? That'll work. Okay. <laughs> all right, um, and I I eat the mic and I'm super loud, so obviously we'll, we'll match in the middle. Um, anyway, you're here. I, I haven't am. seen you in years. Cracked. And I used to see you every waking minute of every day. Cracked. And and which was the same thing with with Emily Rose as well. And now we all have uh, turned into weird adults and diverged into different places. We have indeed. Yeah, I uh, I relocated to Minnesota about four years ago from Chicago. So I uh, really haven't seen a lot of the poetry crew. Um, uh, Emily Rose and I still talk pretty frequently. I do see Roger from from the aforementioned song. Um, with some frequency, um, but that that kind of is it, which is super weird because you guys were were my life right. for five years. 
So let's get into just a little bit about about you, so people know who you are. Yeah. Um, obviously, you're you were a writer, an organizer, an activist of sorts. Uh, you toured with a, with a, an all female identified poetry group called the Morgan for a while, Correct. Uh, for a number of years, and then you happened to you happened upon two houses in the Albany Park neighborhood, in which I still live, of all places. <laughs> uh, you st- happened upon these two houses and started this thing, uh, which at the time was uh, at the time was Vox Ferris, but then kind of like essentially morphed into something a little bit different but yeah. it was it was the the uh, very well known uh, Chicago poetry house of 2009 through 2011 <laughs> um, we you just talked through uh, we talk wait a minute no i can't i can't what? do this i have to ask you the right questions first oh gosh there's a okay. show i'm sorry it okay. doesn't really matter um, <laughs> first record you ever bought with your own money oh gosh uh, probably public enemy bless you yeah. That's a cool one. Yeah. It's usually like Spice Girls or MC Hammer. But... Well, I'm older though. Right. That's well, you're the thing. just older enough that like you got cool stuff first. We did. Well, and it was also, of course, it was like much to my mother's chagrin, right? Of course. So the stuff that I really wanted to own to play over and over again to make her um, feel as angry as I felt. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Public Enemy. I had grunge because I'm just a couple years <laughs> Yeah, 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 you did. Yeah. Um, so, all right, so what was it that drew you to the Public Enemy record? Um, I mean, I just, even as a small child, like, it's interesting. I'm I'm sure we'll talk about this, but I'm oh, yeah. writing this memoir right now, and I'm going through all of, like, my young years and really sort of shocked by how angry I was even at a very, very young age. Sure, yeah. Um, and so, and I felt that the world was super unfair, you know, mm-hmm. just really, really unfair. And that, and Public Enemy spoke to me, you know, because that's a lot of what they yeah, were trying to yeah. talk about was just like, what is this hot garbage that, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that you've that you've given us? And, and how are we supposed to get our heads around that and forge a path and a life and... And I and that really resonated with me at nine years old. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, and I think I think it's it's really natural for kids to like really glom onto this idea of fair, like what is and is not fair. Yeah. But I think if you're if you're of a certain bent, of which you and I are, of a certain artistic whatever it is, it definitely the 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 concept of fairness seems like it has so much more gravity than it does for other kids. It does. And, and you know, I actually, uh, about three years ago now, I was diagnosed with an autism spectrum disorder, which I had gone undiagnosed for my entire sure. life. Um, and that's a big part. And a lot of, and it's, it's funny, as I've moved through years of figuring out coping mechanisms for that hypersensorial anxiety mm-hmm. that I experience, I'm like looking around all the poets. I'm like, you, UASD, you, UASD, you, UASD. Yeah. UASD. Um, and so, and, and a lot of uh, the, the point is that folks with ASD, a big part of sort of the, the loop that goes on in our brains is around the concept of fairness, which sure. I did oh, not yeah. know. Yeah. Like really like emotionally disproportionate reactions to things that we perceive as injustices or unfairness. Yeah. Um, and I, I totally got that too. I, and I don't know if I have that, but whatever it is, I, I noticed, um, uh, the, uh, Stimulus sensitivity, whatever it is, there's a tag for it. I didn't know about it until like recently. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, so like when things are loud or things are too bright or all that kind of stuff, and it sends me into like severe, Panic. severe dick mode. Yep. Oh, it's not just that I'm a dick all yeah, the time. Yeah. It's that there's oh, there's a stimulus that I can react to. So just being aware of it is like, oh, I, I can I can actually 
be aware of when it, what's causing it, when it comes on, and how to regulate it. I'm so yeah. glad that I'm 37 years old and I just figured <laughs> this out. I know. I'm 42, right? right? I mean, that's it was. It was like years of in and out of mental hospitals and and all the drugs and all that, you know. And finally, somebody was like, has anybody ever talked to you about <laughs> autism? Because... Because uh, your story sounds like a lot of other stories I've heard, sure. um, you yeah. know, and uh, and it did. It changed my life. I was like, oh, wow, I I don't crawl under the covers for two days because I'm depressed. It's right. because I can't leave my house. Sure. It's like that makes know. sense. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, I like I could never ride the train with people. Mm-hmm. It was a thing. I just it made me so unhappy to like ride the train sitting next to yeah, another person. Agreed. Um, and I couldn't figure out. And I thought it was just like I'm terrible. No one likes being around me. I don't like other people. Right. I'm a dick. Because that's like how <laughs> that's essentially how my family dealt with it. Like right. this kid is just a this kid's just an asshole. Right. That's just what it is. This is who he is. Yeah. And it's like actually, oh, there were other things going on. So now yeah. like my partner is really cool and really aware of this sort of thing. So she gets like if I'm on the train and I start to bug out, she's like, Do you want to just put your headphones in? I'm like, yes, I do. Thank you very much. Yeah. This will make it a much better thing for me. Yeah. I'm still here. I'll hold your hand. But like I need to not be. Mm-hmm. There's just too much stimulus. I can't handle it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a re- it's a for real thing. I feel sad for people who are walking around out there and don't understand like if that's part of who they are. It's really it really was a game changer. I'm now able to like live a way more balanced life because um, I I'm prepared. Like I have, I have a bag that I put together with like all the things I could possibly need. Yeah, to I got it too. Deal, do you really? Well, I got the headphones, the sunglasses, all the extra things. All the that, like, things. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy. Like, yeah, all the stuff that just allows me to like, I'll start to feel a thing, and I'll be like, "What is it? What? What is? Oh, it's that. It's that ticking noise that's mm-hmm. like way in the distance. Yep. That's like about to send me over the edge. You know, like it's just it's crazy. It's crazy stuff. But I'm super grateful for the woman who put that in front of me and got me diagnosed and got me in a program and um yeah dude yeah dude yeah i don't know how we got down that path because but, that's uh, the show unfairness that's unfairness. the show yeah. it's just that's where it goes it's yeah. always it's, it's, <laughs> it's rock and roll sticking it to the man and your big stupid feelings we got feelings out of the way i'm sure we're gonna come back to them um so when you so let me just walk this back a little bit i yeah. met you because you started going to you started showing up to the green mill where i was a regular of course and uh you would always roll really deep with a whole big chunk of of female identified poets or female identified at the time poets that, well would come in and you would all just kind of like take over the open mic and I don't and I don't mean I don't mean that I don't mean that, I mean that in a bad, bad way I mean it like oh look at this like there's a crew of women that are together working <clears throat> excuse me working uh, performing and supporting each other very visibly mm-hmm. which seems like such an obvious easy thing but in like 2008 or so it wasn't common in, in Chicago art so what's interesting, yes, that is all true. That all happened. Um, what's interesting is that was actually the second round of that same sure. role that I played in this scene. The first round was back in 1996 um, when I first started going to the Green Mill. And at the same time, there was Mental Graffiti. Yep. Crystal Ash was hosting it. Um, and that was Mad slight, Bar. slightly before my time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this that was 90, yeah, 96, 97. And I met a group of women. There were seven of us. We were Salome's Veils. <laughs> wait, um, wait a minute, wait a minute. That was the name of your band? The, the, the Poets. It was a group of seven female so poets. So your, your yeah. band. My like. band is called <laughs> Salome's Veils. Oh, um, and we did the same kind of thing that I did with the Gales in 2007, 2008. 
um, where I just basically went around to all the venues that existed and just started like poaching women and just being like, come, come, my pretties, come right with me. Um, And uh, and they did. And we we, you know, we we and same with the August Project, which was with Emily Rose, um, that previous incarnation with Marty McConnell. Um, uh, and a whole, I mean, just a whole other group of female writers who really aren't even around anymore. I I mean, I haven't seen them in decades. Um, uh, you know, we just spent a lot of time in living rooms, like in my living room, um, writing, talking about writing, talking about the importance of finding, um, you know, finding voice as a woman and, um, and really getting like dirty into the heart of things and not being ashamed of having all those feelings and not being ashamed or afraid to, uh, you know, to, to be sort of like dirty and grungy in the same way the men were on the scene. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. So, so yeah, that was, uh, for whatever reason, like I keep coming back to that, just like wanting, wanting to sit and write with women and, and talk to them and get to know them. So I remember exactly where I was. I was driving between, I was driving from Seattle to Bellingham. Why I remember this, I'll explain in a second. I was driving from Seattle to Bellingham, Washington. I had just premiered my solo show in Chicago, I think two months prior. And I was driving to do the show in Seattle. And I got a phone call. I was driving, I was driving an electric blue PT cruiser. Which I had, re- which was the one I got. Like I landed at the airport and was like, "Just I'll take any car you give me. Just don't give me a PT Cruiser." Yeah. And they're like, "Oh sure." And then they go, "Here's your tag and whatever it is. You get to take the little. Sh- they take the little uh, shuttle over to the lot. And there's just a, a sea of PT Cruisers. <laughs> and there's one that's electric blue. And I go, "I bet you that's mine. Yeah. Like I, I bet this is yeah. my life right now." <laughs> It was just going that way. Um, and sure enough, it was. So I'm driving and I'm just feeling whatever I'm feeling. And I, I was living in a pretty decent space, but I was, you know, I was in a, a hot mess. Um, and I got a call from you and you said, hey, I know. And I've been working with you um, pretty closely. Yeah. Uh, and then I just got a call. From, I just remember the call and you were just like, uh, I'm going to start this thing where a bunch of writers are going to move into the house next door. Um <laughs> You should do it. I, I just wanted to offer you were someone that I want to keep in mind. Uh, so-and-so, I think you were like, I, we're not totally sure who it's going to be, but I think Emily Rose is on the project, and then yourself, and then um, maybe Roger Bonaire if he comes in and whatever. And I'm like, I, I don't know, man. Like, I'm, I'm, I don't know what's going on. And then I think, you know, you and I continued to work together, and then I think, like, uh, there was one day when Roger called me. While- I actually remember this. So we were in a parking lot. Of somewhere, and I can't remember where. Probably a bar, probably is my yeah. best guess. Um, we were in a parking lot, and and he was like, "Yo, is Baz gonna is Baz gonna come and join the houses?" And I said, "I can't. I think that he's on the fence about it." And he's like, "No, no." And he walked out to the parking lot and yeah. got on the phone and was like, "I gotta holler at you about yeah. about the houses." But his literal words: "He goes, Baz, <laughs> if you do not move into this house, I will fight you in the street." <laughs> That tracks. And I just went, I was like, uh, okay, fine. But you know, but I'm weird. I'm weird about people and who I live with and you know, all that. I'm very particular. I still am. But at the time I was really particular as well. And I just was like, I don't want to move into a place and immediately feel terrible about everything and have everyone. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was really on the fence about that. And you know, Emily Rose and I hadn't become friends. You were, you were what I like to call a difficult personality. I I still am what (laughs) what people call a difficult personality. I'm way better than I used to be. Yeah. Way better than I used to be. But I definitely am a difficult personality. Yeah. Well, and you changed 
I mean, within a year, like you had become a different human being just Probably, because of yeah. the fight that you had to go through yourself to to make that living situation work. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, but the art helped. I mean, the fact that everybody was super prolific in the house we and and really the then time. I got that house occupied and then I put some folks in my basement right, in the I, house next door. I remember painting it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Throwing up some drywall, right? Like, we need an extra room. Let's throw up some drywall. Um, and it was just like, and now we look back at it, it was like published author, published author. Like, yeah. all these very prolific Yeah, people. really, really amazing human beings were part of that project. And, and you know, it's funny, like, when folks talk about it, it's like, there's so much, like, we should have done things differently. And I'm kind of like, F that. Like, like we we were doing something really really hard and we were young and we were we were figuring out a lot of really tough things about ourselves and and the way the universe was changing and the way art was changing i think i think we did great i think we did pretty I well i really think we did i since have heard and i think and emily emily rose and i got into this like i since have heard well you became you know the default leaders of that scene that house became sort of the vanguards of that scene. Sure. And with that power, you held certain responsibility. And I think at the time, none of us realized that. We were just like, look, and I don't even know if that's true. I'm just yeah. saying at the time, it was just we were just people living in a house. Yeah. No, none of us realized that. And I think it's completely like, you know me, because I just, I have no filter. I think it's ridiculous that anybody's turning to me being like, oh, you had responsibilities. I'm like, really? My responsibility was raising my three-year-old kid and trying to crush out a couple of poems a week and <laughs> running my business. Right. And like, come on, you know, yeah. like, I, I don't really, I don't know. I have some feelings about that notion, um, but I'll... Uh, but I'll, no, I mean, but <laughs> we can get into it. Like, that's what we're here for. If you yeah, want. I, mean, I, I don't know. It's, I think, I think there are things that I could say out loud about some stuff that went down in those houses that would offend a lot of people. Sure. Like my perspective. Sure. Um, and I'm not sure that I really want to, like, rattle all those cages no, at no, this moment. No, no, we don't moment. need to do that. But, um, but, but I think that my opinion differs. I think that we... I think that we were all doing some really hard things, and I think that artists, you know, uh, or at least a lot of artists, I know myself for sure, um, you know, dealing with uh, mental health problems and alcohol abuse problems and sex addictions and, you know, all of this stuff. It's like, look, if you want to call me a leader, then you have a really poor choice in leaders. Like, that's kind of, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, that's how I feel about it. I'm like, that is not, you know, you're making bad choices there. That's not my fault. Um, And so, so my perspective definitely differs where I think a lot of other folks from that time feel this sort of like accountability about things, some things that went down um, specifically as they relate to sex. Right. I mean, sure. so much of it is about people hooking up with people and doing this and that. But that was part of the game. I mean, that was in, in oh those houses. It was a constant. There was it just was. this, there were people, everybody slept with everybody. It was yep. a very open, everybody's, you know, not everybody, but like most of us were sometimes sleeping with the same people at the same time. Mm-hmm. I, there were, um, there were. It was always the place where all the poets in from out of town would come. Yep. So everybody, there were all of these these sleeping poets or these poets that would sleep over and sometimes sleep in not and the there couch. Was drugs and, and alcohol flowing constant all the drugs, time. Constant alcohol yeah, and a lot so of like, like unregulated, like you were saying, mental health issues that yeah. all kind of contributed to this this glorious Absolutely. place of wonderful stories and great poems and maybe a whole lot of hurt feelings. Sure. Yeah. Like I'm not I'm not negating that. Like, are there some people who feel like 
you know, feel badly about things that maybe occur to them in those houses, sure. You know, but those are choices. There are things that I feel badly about sure, that occurred yeah. to me in those houses. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, for sure, yeah. there are. Um, but for me, I'm sort of like, that's, I, I have to be accountable to myself in that. And I'm not really looking at anybody else to try to put that on. Um, you know, we make, we make the choices we make. That's kind of how I feel about it. Um, and that's not, you know, that's not a popular opinion. It, well, especially not now, right? <laughs> yeah. That was, that was a very, uh, if you had said that in 2010, it would yeah. be a diff- it's a different statement than it is now. Yeah. Agreed. Um, I do think personal responsibility comes into play. I also like, there's, there's just, it's so, the more we find out about it, the more layer, like the more lever, level, the more layers and levels we, I discover for myself. Sure. And like, and I'm and I'm all about it. Like you guys, you guys do that. Like that's not where I'm living at. <laughs> that's not where I'm living at. Um, and and really, like, and I do think the fact that I was a parent amid all of that, sort of like when when everything ended. I mean, you guys moved to another house, of course, and continued to do similar projects, similar things, and work. yeah. yeah. Um, for me. That was like I got divorced. I had a kid to worry about. Like I was yeah, out. I yeah. was like, peace. I gotta that go take care of some yeah. some life things right now um, that don't involve, you know, sex and drugs and alcohol. Um, so and so, yeah, I had to get serious about that. And um, and I think that I really, <laughs> it's it's interesting. Like Sirsha, so Sirsha's my daughter, and uh, and she is just. She's just a spectacular human being. Like That's the so person, good to hear. Yeah. The, the person she has turned into. But she's always been that way, right? Like, she's well, yeah. always been just, like, this kind of weird, weird great kid. kid. And, I, yeah, I mean, I used to have her, like, one afternoon a week. And yeah. It was, and she was when always. You had to, yeah, when I would babysit her. I was, I was telling somebody this story the other day about the first time I sent you to pick her up at the Montessori school. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which is, like. I don't know for all you listeners out there, like if you've ever been to a Montessori school, but it's like, <laughs> it's like this super, like, you know, everyone's really calm. And like when the kids go get their coats, they go one by one and mm-hmm. get their things out of their cubbies and everything's very, very calm, you know, as opposed to like Chicago public schools where right, she ended right, right. up a couple years later yeah. where it's like, Rah! you know, school is out and the kids are tearing through the hallways. No. So, and, and it's like all the moms, right? Like sure. Montessori moms are a thing. They're like a cult. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, I send Baz up and up to the Montessori <laughs> Seriously, he came back and he was like, mm-mm, mm, mm-mm. Let's, not, let's not do that again. <laughs> let's not do that again. Don't make me do it, Andy. No, Seriously, was good. Like, she was like, Yeah, he, he lives in the basement. I know him. Yeah, <laughs> he lives in the basement. <laughs> or whatever, <laughs> you know, but like, Oh, that's hilarious. She was, yeah, it was just like, That the, guy's in my house all the time. The, I don't my, know. the Montessori teacher was like, Who is this bearded ne'er do weller? <laughs> like, picking this kid up. Oh, he my was God. smoking. We saw him smoking. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. That is so funny. Uh, it um, uh, was a different time. Yeah, uh, it was a different time. Uh, and and really, I had to switch gears and get real with like what kind of mom I wanted to yeah. be. Um, and I'm super grateful that she had those years in the houses because I mean, we talk about the drugs and the sex and all that, but that was all happening late at night. Like she wasn't we, around for that, right? No. During the daytimes, like we were a working, functioning set oh, yeah, of houses absolutely, absolutely. doing productive things. I don't want to paint it to be this sort of like insane den of hedonism, but well, and she was with her dad a lot too. She so, was like there we were had split custody. We yeah. never, we never like went in. 
when she was in the house. Yeah, correct. And there were two houses. So sometimes correct. she'd be sleeping in one and we'd be partying in the right. other or whatever. That is yeah. correct. Yeah. Um, but it, she got exposed to just um, so many interesting people and so much great art. And I'm yeah. super grateful for that. And I think it has informed the kind of human being she has become. Sure. Um, and and her, her value, um, the value she places on... Uh, art and activism and diversity and that's so great you know it is because we used to joke a lot about like her becoming a republican just to rebel just to piss me off yeah Yeah. she's like gonna become a born-again christian yeah something like that no she's not she she called me the other day and told me she's like oh i just joined the the diversity committee at my school like she's you know she's just a she's a thoughtful kid she wants um she she wants the world to be a better place and she's going to fight for it. And I think that's awesome because she's 15, you know, that's like 15. so weird. Uh, yeah, she'll be six. She's she's driving like she's learning to drive that's right now. boggling my mind. Isn't that nuts? And she's taller than me. She's five foot. She's almost five foot nine. Uh, um, I, hate, I hate everything about this. I love everything about this, but I also, you know how it is. Like, yeah, like, yeah. I don't like this. No, she's so cool. So, so yeah. So I got the mom thing together, right? And kind of got my act together and figured out some better ways to live. Um, and, uh, and then I, you know, she, she was then in Chicago public schools. I was living in like crappy little apartments in good neighborhoods to keep her in good right, neighborhood yeah. schools. Right. Cause that's, that's what poor people do when they want their kids to have an education. Um, and, uh, but then she got, she was about to go into sixth grade and about a year before that, I thought to myself, I, I don't. You know, because uh, I, I I don't know how much you know about like how people get into various high schools in Chicago, but it's a little bit, it's but a, not a ton. mess. Yeah. So you've got your lottery system for mm-hmm. some schools, yep. and that's just just what it sounds like. You've got your gifted programs that mm-hmm. you can test into, but like less than two percent of the kids in the city test into that school, and less than one percent of them go. You know, she was at what Coonley? She was at Coonley for grade school, yeah. North Center. Yep. And, uh, and so she would have matriculated to, uh, Amundsen, okay. which I was not having. Like I went to Lakeview back in the nineties. So let me tell you I, the things that I was picturing her having to deal with because I, cause I dealt with those things right. and I stopped going to within two months of freshman year of high school. Like I just stopped going cause I was getting my ass kicked and yeah you know, threatened constantly in the hall. I mean, gangs and guns and, you know. But that was also just, Lakeview in the 90s. I mean, Amundsen's a different school now. Like, that neighborhood's... Well, I mean, the neighborhood is better, but you still, it's still like 60% gang occupied. You know really? what I mean? The students, oh yeah. Like, the I gangs guess I didn't are... I that together. The gangs are still really, really prevalent. I mean, maybe now it's been, what, four or five years. Maybe that's not the sure, case now. Sure. I don't know. Um, maybe that's changed. But four or five years ago, that was definitely really? the case. Huh. Yeah. Um, and so I just and I mean, even beyond that, uh, you know, 32 kids in a classroom, like I just wasn't insane, having it. Yeah. I wasn't having it. Um, my kid was too smart. And and I said, you know, uh, forget it. So so I go to Noel, my ex-husband, and I say, uh, I'm going to take Searsha out of Chicago for junior high and high school. If you. If you're willing to move somewhere then we can all do this together or I'm just going to take her. So Sure. Is he still married? It was a little bit of a threat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's right. married to Therese. They've got a 7-year-old son. What? Um I remember when they started dating. Oh yeah. 
He was still in the White House no, at that time. I, I, he was I know. I remember her there. driving up and just being like, all right, we got to get out of here because Teresa's here. <laughs> wanna, yeah. That. Yeah. You know. No, she and I are friends now. Oh, that's great. Isn't that crazy? That's great. Um, yeah. So so I said, if you're willing to move somewhere with a good school system, I'll let you pick the place. <clears throat> so they picked Stillwater, Minnesota in the St. Croix Valley. And I was like, all right. Was I'm it just go. a dart throw? Like, why, how'd they pick that thing? So her she, her family originally is from Forest Lake, Minnesota. And uh, and they had been, like, vacationing in Stillwater. They go, you know, it's a teensy little river town. Yeah, lots sure. of B&Bs and cute little restaurants. Yeah. And so they were going there, um, you know, staying at B&Bs for the weekend. And, and, yeah. And it has one of the best school systems in the country, like, for for public school. Sure. Um, so I got Searsha into this, uh, uh, charter school out there called St. Croix Preparatory Academy. Shout and, out to St. Croix Prep. Yeah. St. Croix Prep. Fighting smokestacks. I don't know who they are. No, that, so, so what I didn't understand about, I thought because it was close enough to the Twin Cities that there was going to be some art and culture and diversity. <laughs> no, it's just like hella white people. Yeah, sure. Uh, and that, that was saddening and alarming uh, it, however, gave me sort of the time to get inside myself and figure out some more things about what kind of human being I want to be in this sort of second phase of my life, right? Post-midlife. Sure. Um, and so I'm grateful for that. And St. Croix Preparatory was a, I mean, there are some kids who do well there. Searsha was like, bless her heart, like she, you know, had periods where she was like, eating lunch in a bathroom stall like it was Been there. she hated yeah it. that was yeah. me yeah the the kids there were just pretty brutal i don't know if it was all the grades or if like her grade was just especially rough but um pretty pretty awful children uh just a lot of money a lot of entitlement yeah, yeah, yeah. you know um a lot of privilege out there sounds familiar um <laughs> right no really like yeah. I, I grew up with not we didn't we i didn't know rich people i'd never seen a rich person in my life and then right. all of a sudden i get to middle school and it's like oh what is this shit? Yeah. I have no concept of how to deal with these people. Yeah, it's it really is. It's a different thing culturally. Like you can't even I, I get so uncomfortable around people from privilege and it's not because mm-hmm. I'm mad at them. I just literally don't know how to interact with them. I'm so it mad just at makes them. me like <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't honest to God, I don't feel mad. I just feel awkward. You know, that's how I I feel like I get I like regress to like my eleven year old awkward self. Um but uh, I just see a, I see like a, a fancy, I see a, a white luxury SUV and immediately <laughs> like the first thing I want to do is just like roll down my window. Like, you think you're better than me? <laughs> first time. Um, yeah, it was, it was, it was super weird. So, so we went out to visit my friend Jombiev in Cape Cod. Yes, I have a friend who lives in Cape Cod, which is super And sweet. her name is Jombiev. And her name is Jombiev. She's Not actually Genevieve. here in Chicago, ah. in Chicago with me. No, no, no. She actually did go by Genevieve in high school because right. it was easier to pronounce. Wasn't, was Jombiev the one who was dating a dude from Nepal? He, well, they got married and they got married kids. and they, and I was like, and I remember going cause he's like, I'm, we made this, this Nepalese dinner yep. at the house. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you, yeah. Eat, you eat with your hands. And I was like, no, no, she's a princess. <laughs> I'm not, this isn't happening. <laughs> no, no, I'm not getting my hands. To, I'm sorry. No, uh, I did it of course, but you I was very it. like, this is, it was who weird. Are these people. <laughs> Give me a fork. Oh my gosh. That's funny. I'd forgotten about that. Yeah. That's near mall. Um, 
Yeah, so they had a couple of kids, and actually, she's going through a divorce right now, sadly. So oh, sorry. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, that's life, right? <laughs> Ain't it, though? Um, and uh, so she's here in Chicago. We're, we rented a house together, me, her, her cousin, um, and a couple of other girlfriends. Uh, yeah, we're getting we're getting crazy in this giant Airbnb house. It's like four stories. It's it's pretty cush. And right now it's twelve dollars a day because it's insane. Yeah, yeah. super affordable. Right. Super super affordable. So uh, so we've been having some fun. But so so anyway, we go out to Cape Cod. We visit my friend Sirsha in true Sirsha fashion on the way home. She's on her phone. I was like, "What are you into?" And she's like, "So, mom, I found this school." on the ocean here called Tabor Academy. And it's a school, a high school for marine sciences. Where is this? This is in Marion, Massachusetts. Marion, Massachusetts. So it's it's in an area called South Coast, which is basically just below Cape Cod. Okay. Um, and I start watching, you know, their promo video. And I'm in the airport watching this crying. I just start crying because the possibility of my daughter having that kind of educational opportunity was so overwhelming to me. so cool. Um, And it never occurred to me to send her to a boarding school. And, And of course, the question would always be, can you get enough of a scholarship to go? Because mama don't have that kind of money. Right, right. Um, and, uh, I said, well, I will, you know, I'll pay and by I, I mean, my mother will pay for you to take, uh, (laughs) for you to take some training classes for the SSATs, which is the secondary Mm -hmm, SATs mm -hmm. to get into high to fancy pants high schools. Um, and, uh, and if you can get a good enough score to get you a good enough scholarship, you know, and and through that, I'm fighting with Noel about it because, you know, he didn't want her to go. Of course um, not. Uh, but I'll be damned if that kid didn't score in the 90th percentile on her SSATs. Of course and she did. Got a $48,000 scholarship. Um, I mean, we still have to come out of pocket about seventeen grand a year. But that's pretty standard for any private school, like sure. even just private schools in Chicago, basic private schools sure. in Chicago. Um, so me, my mom, and my sister split that pretty oh, much three ways, um, and uh, and she goes to this a school where like you know she goes into the ocean and waders and like catches puffer fish and crabs and does and like holds eels and thinks they're cute like that's that's Saoirse. That's yeah, how but she rolls. if you had stayed here, she could be learning how to braid hair right now. <laughs> Right. Oh, my God. And it's such a great I mean, for for pandemic days, like how lucky are we? You know, she's at a boarding school. There's been zero cases of covid. They get tested every two weeks because it's Massachusetts, you know, and they do good things on the East Coast. (laughs) You don't say. Um, Yeah. Uh, I can't get a test to save my life in Minnesota. I'm getting one here, actually, because I can't get one in Minnesota. It's crazy. You know, home of the Mayo Center. Like, I don't know how how we can't get tested. But anyway, um. But they, yeah, they get tested every two weeks. There's been zero cases, and they just have this really controlled dormitory environment. And like, lucky, lucky, lucky me. I don't, you know That's what I great. mean? Like, holy smokes. So, can we talk a little bit yeah. about? Let's. Um, I now that we've we've done the catch up, I want to I want to go to how you got involved in this whole weird game that we ended up in, um, and then. <laughs> But but then specifically, I want to talk. I know that you're you're working on this on this memoir, and I want to yes. talk about where we're going and, and all that bit of business. So yeah, you uh, so you grew up in Chicago. How did you stumble into poetry? So I was in a couple of mental institutions in my 
early teens. I was in my first one when I was 13, and then I was in a second one when I was 14, the summer before I turned 15. Was it mental episode, or was it typical parental, uh, this child is difficult, and let's just put her somewhere? Pretty much that. That was a pretty popular um, thing in the 90s for parents to do. Um, yeah, but of course now in retrospect, now that I understand the autism piece of it and have like gone back with my therapist and reprocessed all of those years, like, oh, bless my heart. You know, like Mm -hmm. I just didn't know. And my mom didn't know. And girls weren't even diagnosed with autism back then. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't even on the radar of anybody. So my behaviors, which now in retrospect were clearly stimming episodes and mm-hmm. you know all these kinds of things the the behavioral meltdowns i would have um and i was suicidal you know for sure, sure. um and uh and just angry and unhappy and violent and aggressive and um yeah so i ended up in this mental institution in uptown uh neighborhood on the north side of chicago and uh and there was a there was a counselor dale um, big, big gay guy, uh, from Andersonville, uh, big black gay guy from Andersonville. He was, he was just the best. Um, and he, I, I was just so angry and he just pushed me into trying to write. And of course, at first I was like, you want me to write a what? Yeah. Like, you know, cause I was all like street thugged out. Of course. <laughs> like, right, right, right. I don't write, you know, I don't write no poems. Um, so, but I did it and and it felt good. And the praise that I received from other kids in the institution and the adults made me feel good. And that was really one of the first times I'd ever felt that. Sure, right. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, Oh wow. So I get out, uh, I get out of the institution. And of course at that time, there are only two poetry venues on the North side of Chicago at all. One is the green mill, of course, but I was only 15, so I couldn't go, go there yet. Right. Don't get me wrong. I started going there at seventeen. Uh, sure. Though, though it was supposed to be twenty-one and over. But back, you know, different times. Different it was. Time. It was. A, it was a different time. It was a different time. Uh, so I. So the other game in town. I guess there was two. There was no the No Exit Cafe, which mm-hmm. is, was my haunt for two years. Because that was when, in one year was there, right before it went to Heartland. So, yeah. Well, when I started going there. It didn't have a name. Right. Like it was just. But that was the show that ultimately became In One Ear. That's, I guess. I'm just telling you. Maybe. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, when I went there, it was just a bunch of like Northside misfits. I mean, there were still like legit beat writers in their 50s oh, and yeah. 60s yeah. who like went there and read. I saw Ann Ginsberg there. I mean, it was, you know, <laughs> yeah. it was like some for real, like, you know, snap in the fingers, not in a bad way. Right. Um, you know, chain smoking, bottomless cups of coffee. Sounds familiar. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so, so that's when I got my performance chops, right. was getting up there and, and reading, um, all my angsty teenage poems. And then I started going to the mill and met Mark and did some projects with various folks that are long, long gone. Um, God, this is back in the day. Reggie Gibson was still there. I miss him. Um, he, he was it's always good, good to see him. It is good to see him. I haven't seen him in years. Um, then Mental Graffiti, Crystal Ash, right? Met Marty McConnell and she, and then the Salome's Veils. Then we became Arawak. There was five of us. Then Marty and Heather Goransky, Salerno, and myself um, 
well, what's like, if you want to get for real, I was having terrible depression. And so this group of women actually kicked me out of the group, mm-hmm. the group I started. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they, they didn't want to deal with me anymore. Uh, I was too, I was too troubled for Been them. There. Yeah. Been there. And, uh, I was like, you guys can all get, you know, effed. Yeah. effed. You get, yeah. <laughs> Screw you. So the only two I really wanted to work with anymore was Marty and Heather anyway. So I I pulled them aside. I met them at this bar up in uh, Lakeview and said, I want to go on tour. And mm-hmm. and I think we should. I think we should drop all our things and buy a van and go and drive around the country for three years. So that's what we did. Um, and there were there were some other gales we picked up along the way. Um, Heather Heather didn't go. Maybe she went for part of the second year. She wasn't really cut out for road life. So when you were touring, like what you were doing, what kind of venues? Oh, uh, we <laughs> we performed in everything from you know a thousand feet seat theater yeah. to a laundromat. Yeah, like, that sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah. we had performed in a laundry. Did mat, you do laundromat? Did you do the sit and spin in Seattle? We did, yeah, we did the sense, but no, this was in Salinas, California, oh, okay. and it was like, we were actually in the laundry, man. Yeah, but there was, like, the, that's what I'm saying, there was a, I remember there was a venue the in, spin. in yeah. Seattle, yeah. But that's not where the, the show was in a space in the back of the sit and spin. It wasn't like oh. in the, with where the washers and dryers are, oh. like that's where the show was, and there was no one there to see us, so we were just performing <laughs> To people doing their laundry. <laughs> I've I've done I've done shows real similar. Oh to that. my yeah. god! Um, and you know there wasn't a network back then. It's right. there was no internet or right. there was basic internet. But like now you can find venues anywhere. We sure. were old school, picking up the landline, yeah, and calling people and trying to get gigs. Um, and it's you know a lot of it is similar to how people tour now. It's doing features at already existing events. Mm-hmm. Um, we had some more complex events set up for us. I mean, thanks to Marty. Marty was, prior to becoming a poet, she was like a legit downtown Chicago PR rep, public relations. That's like what she went to college for. Um, and so she had like put together a professional press packet. We actually got great press. We were in a lot of newspapers and like, we were on the cover of the women's section in the Chicago Tribune. So she really like got us out there yeah. um, and got us some recognition. So we had some shows that were really, really good. Like we did really well. But but it was, you know, it was still really, really hard. There was no money in poetry. And, um, you know, you, you tried to sell your merch. That's the biggest thing, mm-hmm. right? We had T-shirts and bumper stickers. Our bumper sticker said, have uterus, will travel. <laughs> um, people really liked those. Uh, and then, you know, we had some venues where like the women in that town would fall in love with us and then do really amazing things for us, like sure. set up private yeah. salons and shows. Seattle was really kind Dope. to us, Karen Finney Frock and, yeah, and that Sarah Finney Zane, Frock. like that yeah. whole crew of gales was really good to us. Yeah. And then, and we crossed paths with Sister Spit a couple times sure. and they kind of, um, you know, got us with, with, you know, doing a couple venues with them in San Francisco. And so, so we had some really great inspirational women who just, um, you know, took this group of bedraggled, you know, oh my God, we were so emaciated and like eating peanut butter (laughs) sandwiches. I was eating like to get my protein, I would eat meat ravioli out of the can, like not even heated up, you know, um, yeah, we were just we were we were sickly and and we did I mean we would do 
60 shows in, I don't know, in 90 days. I mean, and mm. we, and this wasn't like, now people are smart. They go and do a coast. Right. We did New York, Washington, yeah, D.C., that was my all first the way tour. down New Orleans, yep. across California, up. I mean, just everywhere. My everywhere. first tour was like that too. And it was just, I had Bonkers. a, I had a, um, my, my parents, <laughs> thankfully, bless you. They gifted me uh, like a three month Greyhound railway pass. Yeah, I remember those. So yep. it was like any I could take any Greyhound branded bus at any time, like on standby or whatever it yeah, was. Yeah, yeah. And you could, and all I had to do was just be there the day of and get on the thing, right? So I would just go everywhere in this giant suitcase, like an idiot. And of course, I'm playing like, <laughs> you know, you go and you play, you play some venue in in Little Rock, and four people show up. Yeah. And then if you're lucky, if you're nice, people give you a place to stay. And then if right. you're good and nice, then they're like, actually, I found you another show in Fayetteville. Do you want to take that? Right. Do you want to do this? We have a network. I know people, but you know. You don't know. And I was just a guy and it was just so happy to be there that I was the most accommodating I've probably ever been in my entire life. (laughs) And was just like, absolutely, I'll play anywhere. And then by the end of that tour, I was exhausted and had no money. But I also had like fans. Right. And people that went out of their way to to get me things. Absolutely. I mean, it was it was definitely um, we were inspirational to other women. I mean, we were told that regularly, that what we were doing was important to them and the the stories we were telling were important to them. Um, And that felt amazing. You know, it felt super amazing. Um, yeah, it's it, roughing it, you know, doing that, that tour, I would never do it again, but, um, but doing that was, uh, I think integral to the person that I ended up becoming. And, but when it was over, I bowed out of the poetry scene for four years. Well, and that was the thing when you I popped, disappeared, when you popped up, uh, in that, in that four years you were gone, I had kind of risen to this it boy status. Right. right? And so all of a sudden you started coming around and I'm like, who, who Who's are you acting like, you know, stuff. <laughs> I don't know you. I've never heard of you. Right. And then, it, and I, I mean, of course, like that went away very quickly, but yeah. it, was, it was definitely this moment of like, wait a minute, you know, oh, so, oh, Marty vouch for you. Okay. You're uh, all right. Uh, you know, it was uh, that. There was a lot of that, actually. Yeah. People were like, oh, you traveled with Marty. And I was like, how did, how do I not have my own name anymore? Um, but that's what happens when you disappear. Like you can yeah. quickly become irrelevant in the poetry it, very, world very quickly. within a year, very quickly. I feel like. Yeah. Um, but I had to, you know, it's my it's my pattern, right? It's my way. I do all the hard things. I push it as hard as I can, and then I have to disappear for a while because it's because it was hard, and now I feel broken, and <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I know the feeling. Yeah. yeah. So all right, so you get to you you pop up, and then all of a sudden you start reaching out to these poets. Yeah, you get these women. We do the thing. We have blah blah blah. You move away, and now you're back in this place where yeah. your life has kind of stabled itself out. You're in. Um, Stillwater, Minnesota, of all places. I'm in Stillwater, Minnesota. I'm a I'm a very high end bookkeeper. Whoop whoop! Right, I know I'm super fancy. Uh, do you but, mean bookkeeper like you do like you do QuickBooks math kind of stuff like I used to do for you? Correct, okay. but I'm like I'm an elite pro advisor, so sure. there's less than six percent of bookkeepers have that. So hey. I'm like I'm like real real good at yeah. what I do. So. Uh, and I work specifically with a few different industries, um, chambers of commerce, construction sure, companies, sure. Um, and I and I sit on the board for a couple of organizations, and so I'm pretty embedded into this super weird Rivertown community. I don't know how that happened, but it did. But now you've got this thing rising in your in your gut that says I need to write this memoir. Uh, yeah, so, so that's where we're so I've been yeah. Well, I was waiting for years, right? I have notebook. I I mean, I'm sure you're similar. Mm-hmm. I have. Tupperware, like huge 
bins full of notebooks, you know, I just threw full. away so many that oh, I didn't, no, I, I shouldn't have, everything. I shouldn't have, but there were so many things. I was just like, I want to forget this right. year existed yeah. and I just threw away the books and I shouldn't have, but you know, at the time, Should, right. You wish you wish you hadn't. Well, what's funny is that I think I knew even at 15, 14, 15, when I first started writing that this is where I would end up with my writing yeah. that I would have to tell my story because, sure. because the story is so crazy. I mean, and it's not just like, I'm talking to you're, you're, we're talking about poetry stuff, which is a tiny little, I mean, it was an important thing in my life, but it's also like a really small facet. In of terms of the scandal, the, like there was way bigger stuff. Yeah. I mean, I've heard a lot of these stories, obviously. So like, there's just, I don't know where, where does it start? Yeah. Um, so I don't know where the story's going to start. <laughs> so what I've been doing, what I've been doing right now is trying to break out what I think are the most, the, the memories that inform um, that are most important in defining and informing who I am, right? So, um, and what's interesting is that that keeps changing. The things that I think are, uh, are in, you know, the important elements of, of my story and my trajectory in life, um, I'll, I'll start to get into certain memories and writing the things down and I'll be like, oh, interesting. That isn't what was important about that at all, <laughs> you know? And so, so I'll break out these little micro memories and really trying to get into, you know, standard writing techniques. I mean, just trying to get into the detail of it, the smells, the feels, the colors. Right. The, and because I'm so hypersensorial, um, a lot of my experiences are just enmeshed in all of the things I'm hearing and smelling and tasting and feeling. Um, and that's interesting to me to like go through and figure all of those pieces out. Um, and I'll just continue to work through that through, you know, it will, I'll probably, I, I don't, I won't get to where I am now in my life. It will stop somewhere when I'm younger um, and I also could, in, I, I think I could probably break it out into uh, a few different books even because it's, as I go through it all, it's like, I, I do, you know, I have so much modeling behavior in my life, like, you know, sort of becoming other people as I age, hmm. because, uh, again, that's part of the ASD stuff. I'm, I, you know, I would age, I would meet groups of people and then I would start modeling my behavior yeah. and mirror those people. So yeah. like, I mean, I was like a legit, you know, dating a gangster disciple when I was four to like, mm -hmm. but can you imagine like that was my life for you? You want to know something who, funny? What? I wrote this play called Just Numbers about Chicago Public Schools that came out. I co-wrote it, but I was a lead writer on it. And I wrote, I wrote, a, there was one white girl character mm -hmm. who had those things. And I stole, I didn't even realize it at the time, but I took so many of the, so many of the stories that you told me oh, and funny. made that character. And I just realized that as I'm talking to you. Interesting. That I wrote this whole character based on it. you. Yeah. I love That's it. so crazy. Yeah, it's really like I really did. I, you know, I'd become one person for a year or two and then I'd become another person. Sure. Like my musical taste would change. The way I dressed would change because I did. I would in as as an alternative to having to try to figure out who I was in a world that I felt like had completely rejected me. Hmm. I um, I would just model. It, it was the way that I figured out how to like socialize and make friends. Was yeah, I would like model to do that because I didn't know how to otherwise. It sounds like when I moved. So I just remember like we moved. I moved schools a lot. Yeah, and it was always what do I have to do to survive? Right. Mm -hmm. So I was way too. Um, was 
I was way too gay. I was just too gay. So it's <laughs> the thing. I was too gay. And uh, I found out very quickly that like I had a uh, nice style and gel in my hair and like looked, you know, I made a point of like wearing colors and looking like a certain thing. And then it was very clear, like, no, put on baggy shorts and uh, right. curse a lot and don't take care of yourself and smell like that's the way that you blend in. Right. And just like things <laughs> on top of things of just like, oh, OK, I'll just just take my whole life and just push that down yeah. and push it down and push it. Yeah, I was just oddly enough, I was talking about that before you got here on the radio. But yeah, it's weird how that works. That's funny. Well, and but I didn't I I don't think that I was pushing anything down. I think that I like legit didn't know who I was. Sure. You know what I mean? Like I just was trying to figure out a way to connect to people because I felt so disconnected. Yeah. And so that's the way I did it. Yeah. And I think like from a memoir standpoint, that's really tough, right? Like trying to move in and out of these like versions of myself throughout my life historically so weird there was a point at which I landed in some semblance of a version of me right and largely due to poetry and largely due to the the poets right the people the weirdos who Mm -hmm. um who allowed me to figure out who I was and and wanted to also figure out how to be social and connect to people as badly as I did yeah and we were all so awkward and so broken when I landed in in Albuquerque for the National Poetry Slam in 2005 I remember just like an hour into the experience going, these are my people. These are my people. Oh my God. Yeah. Like I, people make yeah. sense to me. I can talk. I'm not shy. I'm not shy. I don't feel. In fact, like, I'm kind of cool. I'm cool Am I here. Cool? Yeah, am I yeah, a cool kid? Yeah, yeah. I remember like, I, I swear <laughs> to Christ. I remember going home and looking at, uh, looking at, looking at, uh, live journal. Cause right. People were on live journal. Um, and I remember reading people's live journals about things. And I remember just like connecting with people and someone making any reference. And I was like, holy, like I have a friend. There's a person who notices me. I'm just was so amazed at, there's this whole network of human beings that I finally feel like I belong somewhere yeah. for the first time in my entire life. I felt like I belong somewhere. And I think that's largely what contributed to me throwing myself headlong into what we ended up throwing ourselves yeah, into. Absolutely. I mean, it, it was, it, I felt loved for the first time sure. in my life. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Um, and, and I loved people like legit. Yeah. Loved right. People. Oh, um, I, and that, yeah, ugh, I know that was, so real. it was, it was real. It was amazing. And, and, uh, and and now, like I said, like I, you know, it took a lot of years of kind of in and out of the various poetry communities and, and of course, figuring out who I am as a mother is such a big part of where I've landed. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but it took, and really, like, I don't even know that I'll get as far as all the poetry stuff, because I feel like once I got into the poetry phases of my life, like, or at least the later phases of it, like... I don't know. I feel like that's like a whole different book. And probably like, and, and, and probably less interesting, oddly enough, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. Ta- you know, looking at really, because, you know, people love some trauma. People uh, love trauma memoirs. And like love I had it. hella trauma, right? I right. grew up with all kinds of hot messness going on in my home and. Um, and and, you know, growing up and being poor and being rejected what I felt like was rejected by my family, whether or not that's true. Right. Um, the choices I had to make to survive were pretty gruesome. Um, and so, yeah, that like just that stuff, like that's the stuff, right. That's the like oogie Mm -hmm. hard pulling shit out of me. Like, like, I don't know, like rotten sludge, like, I don't know, (laughs) like just really some nasty stuff. Um, And of course, then the the hardest part of the memoir writing. Well, when I first started, I thought I would try to publish it anonymously. 
Okay. Well, I, honestly, I don't think anybody knows enough about me to if the whole story came out, like I'm not sure how many people would actually be able to pick it out as me. Like if it were That's, just okay. published okay. anonymously, I honest to God don't because I'm so secretive about so many things in my life. That's fair. Um, I mean, there's poems, right, about certain pockets of things, but poems are short. They don't tell, you know, the whole, the whole shebang. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think, uh, I think I don't want to do that. I think it's important that I am attached to it for whatever yeah. reason. Um, but it is. It's going to devastate my mother. Uh, I'm trying to wait till she retires, but I'm like, Hooker, you're never going to retire. <laughs> like, you're 67. You're still working. Um, I love so much that you're referring to people because we used to refer to everybody as hooker. Like hooker was. <laughs> well, I was a hooker right, like in I, real life. Right. So I, I, know. I, I feel like I can say that. <laughs> <laughs> I've reclaimed the word. Yeah. Uh, but no, like, that's we, exactly ev- it. But everybody was called for, everybody for years. Everybody yeah. was hooker. My mom. Like I was just like, hooker. <laughs> you know, like my, I remember my dad being like, who? What? Who what are you talking you to? Talk, and I was like, oh, I'm sorry. It's just every everybody's a hooker where I live. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're all hooking it up on Monticello. But it was, yeah, it was, um, a, it was a, it was a, a gender neutral term. It, it was, was everybody is a hooker. It was a term of love yeah. and also uh, anger, depending on how aggressive. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I definitely felt that I reclaimed that word and that that I was, I was, it was okay for me to like allow everybody else yeah. to use it because like I was like, if anybody's got a problem with it, you come talk to me. Sure, you know, <laughs> I'll tell you about my years as a prostitute. What? 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 Um, yeah, so, getting, getting real. So now. <laughs> Uh, so now that you're on the other side of it and you know that your mother's never going to retire, like, is it, I know you're in the drafting stage right now. Yeah. But writing, I, writing, writing. And then you, I'm going to have to go talk to people. Are you giving right? yourself a, like a, a, a timeline in order to keep yourself on, on the deal? Or is it just kind of like when it's finished, it's finished? No, I, I am on a timeline. So, so all of the writing, the initial writing will all, the goal is for it to be done by May 31st. That's when my lease goes up in the house I'm in in Stillwater. And then I'm going to like go in the wind. <laughs> I'm going to like put my stuff in storage and what day? and do uh, May 31st. May 31st. You heard it here first. Yeah. And then I'm going to start, uh, you know, I got to shake up my life a little bit to get into the pieces of it where I have to start talking to people about their versions of my life and that is going to be an ugly messy terrifying thing the piece of advice i would give you yeah is document everything i'll use a recorder yeah document everything yeah. and not just not just for so you don't get it wrong but like so you have it sure right i think about all the things that we can create and now that we especially that we live in a world that in which digital content is obviously so prevalent but also digital content is so important to what we do and it's so easy anybody mm-hmm. can make a movie on their phone anybody can record anything so now i tr- i love the fact that like most of the time when i'm catching up with people it's on this radio yeah. show right so it's all recorded for posterity but just like this could be an amazing part of the book is just catching up with people and who knows like maybe it's a maybe it's a podcast maybe it's a documentary maybe agreed you know? yeah yeah i definitely have that in the back of my mind and and i think there are some conversations where i'm going to try to get those people to go on film with me and sure. do it yeah um there's some people who i know are not going to be happy to hear from me and so like that isn't going to be possible and there are going to be some people who don't say it's okay for me to record because they're also, of course yeah you know <clears throat> um you know there was our relationships did not end well <clears throat> yeah um and there's a lot of people like that in my life me i too. really i burnt a lot of me too i burnt a lot of shit down um I, it yeah. makes me sad 
every day. Like it's a thing yeah. I think about all the time. Yeah. Just like how many people that just won't talk to me anymore because I was just not the person I wanted to be when I was interacting yeah. with them. You know, it sucks. Yep. Yeah. And, 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 you know, the choices that I had to make out of what I thought was self-preservation. Right. Right. Um, and so, but there are some really important, you know, characters, I'm doing air quotes, which you can't see, <laughs> but uh, characters in my life who, I mean, they were, you know, so important in my life. And they, not only do I not see or talk to them anymore, but, um, but yeah, they're, they're, they're not gonna. They're not gonna really be happy to hear from me. But I'm gonna try, right? I'm gonna try. Because what else? What else are you gonna do? I know, and there, and I am, am resigned to the fact that there's gonna be a piece of this, a part of this book that is going to be. Um, I'm I'm just going to have to be like verbally self-aware through it that what I'm saying may or may not be the truth because I couldn't get it verified, right? Sure. Yeah. Um so I'll do my very best, but I definitely have like those you know like if it were to get published. I mean, I think that I can get it published. I think it will be I think fingers crossed, I mean, right? if it's good enough, someone's going to put it out. I think so. And I do have enough great writers. I'm lucky I have so many good writers in my life who are going to help me work through the editing pieces of it. And yeah. that's, I'm very fortunate to have, to have that sure. in my life. Um, but like, you know, I have those moments of terror, like when that, that dude, like on the Oprah show got like torn a new so, one. I've been thinking about Stephen <laughs> Fry. No, is that his name? Stephen Frey, 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 whatever, I can't whatever his remember name was. His but name. I, but the whole it's a time, million little pieces, million little pieces. That guy? Yeah, the whole time you were talking for the last like ten minutes, I'm going like, "There's got to be a joke." I, I'm just thinking of that thing. Yeah. Of he made it up because he couldn't figure out, he couldn't fill in the details, so he just made right. up the details. Right. Whereas if he had just gone, "Here's how I remember it. Here's how I wish it would have gone." Right. It would have been a very different conversation. Right? Yeah. And there is a lot to it. Like part of what happens to me, and I'm super aware of as I'm going through this first draft, is that um, I I had a very rich fantasy life in my own head about who I was. And mm-hmm. the reasons that I was doing things, yeah. you know, and so I'm trying to capture that. I'm trying to capture this idea of like, not only how do we remember things, but like this like totally incorrect like set of intentions that were behind it. You know, yeah. that I look at that previous version of myself and I'm like, oh, well, you really you really thought you were doing it for that reason. Because everybody's you? the hero you know? of their own story. Even right. if you're a piece of shit, you're right. still the hero of your own piece of shit story. Right. Yeah, so trying to trying to really keep it real and really just unpack like what a piece of garbage I was on so many levels. I was also really amazing at you know at other at stuff. other stuff, <laughs> right? Um, and I was also um, and I also have a lot of empathy for these previous versions of myself because I was really broken, and you know yeah. you grow up with enough neglect and bullying and all of those sorts of fun things that us poets you know dealt with as children mm-hmm. um there's also got there's got to be some empathy there for for who i was and and yeah. the sadness that sort of surrounded these super garbagey choices right and you know I you made. have that i 100 percent get it and that's part of the thing like a lot of the people who i connect with on like a, a deeper level is always like shared piece of shititude like there's this yeah. yeah I also was kind of messed up when I was young and it led to this stuff and now we're on the other side of it and you it's so easy to, to fantasize like what if I could employ in import import yes what <laughs> if I could stick my consciousness into my 
14 year old body right now right and just right. know what i know or like if you can go back in time and talk to yourself i don't know if that would have changed anything though if i'm being really honest even if i were 14 oh, and no. i showed up and was like this is me i know it's me and blah, 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 yeah like i don't know if i even would have listened to myself i definitely wouldn't have listened and and i'm so aware of like so when i look at Sirsha now right and I see this like amazing young woman that she's becoming, it makes it even clearer to me. Like when I put my 15 year old version of myself and who I was next to who she is, I'm like, wow, I was a real piece of work. Wasn't mm-hmm. I like yeah. so angry, so contrary. So yeah, if, if anybody tried to tell me anything, like forget it. I, I, I just, my anger drove me. You know, what's wild is that I have, um, I have two nieces and my eldest niece, uh, is, me like it's so her her mother my sister and and uh her father uh my brother-in-law like they both go that this child is you and it's so so endearing like there's a reason why from the time she was a baby like she just she and i just got each other yeah but also it's how old is she now she's six now okay so she's at that point where she's starting to turn right and she's starting to whatever it is and i just want to like every time I talk to her, I think like, how do I, how would I want to be spoken to when I was that age so yep. that I don't turn into the person I've turned into? Right. Right. So I always try to engage her That's that way. That's crazy. So what's wild is like when I watch the way that my father engages her next to me mm-hmm. um, and nothing, and you know, not nothing against my dad, but like when my dad will, my dad will talk to her the way that he talked to me as a kid and I will get so full angry. of rage. Yeah. Full of rage. I experienced that with my mother and my daughter. Like, yeah, seeing my sister and my mom interact with my daughter the way that they interacted yeah. with me. And I'm just like, oh, hell no. And it's not hell and it's no. not malice. Like, it's not he's right. not being malicious with the kid. Yeah, absolutely. But it's just like she's not going to she's not going to take this as anything other than an affront. And she's going to put up a wall with you for the rest of her life. Right. If we don't do this the right way, because some right. kids are just fucking sensitive. It's just part of the deal. Like they're just wired differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, geez, that's that's crazy. Like I'm so glad that I don't look at my daughter and see myself. That would scare the living crap out of me. Yeah. and I really don't. I see, she's like a completely different thing altogether. <laughs> I don't see. I mean, we have like similar habits and a similar sense of humor. You know, the dark, dark and twisty sense of humor, mm-hmm. but. Overall, I'm like, I don't see anything in myself in you, and that makes me so super happy. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> I'm thrilled. Good for you. Yeah. So the question becomes for me, like, does she, how, obviously 15, she's clearly curious about the world because she's figuring it out, but she also seems obviously very sharp and smart and everything else. But like, at what point does she, is she asking you about your previous life? At what point will you share the previous life? Yeah. So that's a piece of it too, is I definitely don't want to move forward to publish. Right. So, so going, going in the wind next summer, I'm guessing 18 months to Mm -hmm. get all the interviewing done. Um, and then second draft work, starting to work with editors and sort of the goal would be, when she goes off to college. Right? So she's an adult. She can make her own decisions. Yeah. I don't want like her high school buddies knowing these things about right, me right. and then being like, you know, like that takes your mama jokes to a whole new level. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? like, My mom's not a hooker. She used to be. <laughs> she used to be. Yeah. yeah. For real. For real. Um, so, yeah, and definitely, like, I haven't spoken to her about the prostitution stuff. Um, some of the harder, you know, I've had a couple of abortions. Those are hard stories mm-hmm. to, to move through, although not uncommon, right, of course, for most obviously, women. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, and so we've talked a little bit about that stuff, a little bit about... I mean, she knows a lot about, like, the alcoholism that was in my home. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't get into the level of abuse that occurred, you know? Like, sure. I didn't get into detail on that stuff. Mostly because she, I think it would make her so sad for me, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, to, to think about me as a child enduring the things that of I course. endured. Of course, of um, course. But she know you know, she knows, I'd say she knows 80% of it all. You really? You know, it's like the 20% is just like the dirtiest underbelly of the story is, is the stuff she doesn't know anything about. Um, so what are you hoping to, what are you hoping to achieve, right? And I obviously get the yeah. book out, right? But at the end of it, is there, do you have a, I'm going to use this as a way, is there something in the back of your head that says you're going to use this as some in sort some of instrument of to let go or to learn or to like oh, what, like, like, or is it going to, you want to launch a career? Like what's the, what's the point of doing it? Yeah, yeah, no, it? those are all super good questions and I don't have super great answers to them, but I will, I will say this. Yeah. I will say, um, yes, it's cathartic. No question. Um, uh, and I think, yes, I hope that at the end of this, I'm able to let some stuff go that I've been playing like film strip in my head for 40 years, you know, Mm -hmm. um, things I just really wish I could stop thinking about. And I'm hoping that this is a way to do that. Maybe it's going to make it 10 times worse. Who knows? Yeah. Um, you know, so I can't, I can't have a lot of expectations for those pieces of the outcome because I think that would be dangerous to the writing, you know, um, but I do think that there's – I want to be able to do something with it um, in relationship to working with teenage girls. Like some – there's something in my future for writing and teen girls. Yeah, and whether yeah. that's through, I don't know, the foster care system or working with mental institutions, that, you know, teen programs and psychiatric hospitals. There's something. There's something more there, and I think this story is going to lend itself a lot I mean, so much of it is about growing up in an abusive and neglectful home and then what kind of teenager I became as a result of that and the hard choices that I had to make. And and I don't know, like, it's not a warning. It's not a – it's not a um, – it's not like I'm trying to like be like listen to my story and now my sage wisdom and like who I've become. I, I don't I don't really know what it is, but there's something in there with that, and I I, I can't articulate I, it. I think there's something about the I don't remember what it was. I I was quoted in the writer magazine as saying like the most the most important thing we can do in terms of uh, owning ourselves is sharing our stories with the world, right? Sharing right. our stories with strangers. And I said it and I didn't remember I said it and then I saw it on the front page. It's like, oh yeah, I said that. Um, but like, that's really, <laughs> Look at me saying when smart I, but, things. but when I said it, it seemed very true. Like that really right. is something about like, this is who I am. This is where I came from. This is the actual story. This is not the story I'm giving you in poem form. This right. is the actual story. Right. And once it's out there, it's like, well, that's, that's who I am. And now you're all aware of it. Like there's so much, there's something so real about the truth. Even when I'm now writing stories that I have lived through and essays that I've lived through, I realized that the way I was telling the story isn't necessarily how the story went, mm-hmm. right? That capital T truth versus lower T truth thing. Right. Where right. a lot of times uh, I just go like, it was so terrible. And I was the victim. I was like, yeah, and you were drunk and yeah. you sh- shouldn't have had a bottle of alcohol before you went on that stage right. or whatever it was. Right. And you were doing blow in that kid's bathroom or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Like there's all that stuff that adds up and you go, Oh yeah, I have to be both the hero and the villain. Like I'm trying yeah. to show the whole swath. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, 
And I think, you know, like I said, there's this one story that sort of speaks to this teenage, this like screwed up teenage girl in me. But then there's, you know, as we've discussed throughout the course of the show, like there's all of these other pockets in my life that are also interesting stories, but in totally different ways. Like I think, you know, like I can, I feel like I can write this like gruesome unfolding of what my life was. But I also think I could probably write some like a pretty funny ass sure. like you know what i mean memoir about like my m- mid to late 20s like there's there you know there's also a lot of like h- hilarious joy that occurred you know so so i think there's opportunities to to just to be a storyteller um in a lot of different veins and um yeah i mean i hope that i hope i'm able to get it published i hope i'm able to get a platform to share with people um all of the all the nasty. So when's when was the? <laughs> I think it's. I mean, I think it's great. I and I'm certainly interested in reading it. Um, but what do you think? Do you feel like was there a point in your life where you feel like this was this was the best it would have been, or like this was the time? Like if you had to say what was like the best time the best in your time life? Time in my life. Or have you even? Do you feel like you've even had it yet? Yeah, I think the best time that I had in my life is when I lived in Germany. I loved. I loved not being in this country. Yeah. I'll tell you that, and I really yeah. wish I wasn't right now. <laughs> when I yeah, when I started touring uh, Germany, every time I go to Germany, I just go like, oh, it's so much better here. <laughs> yeah, I loved living in Munich, man. It was such a cool city, and I had access to so many other cool cities that I was able mm-hmm. to go to. And um, the poetry scene out there was really dope, and uh, I made some some good friends. and And I think I was just like the yeah healthiest and happiest. I've ever yeah. been when I lived out there. The food was better. The everything sure. just felt better. The air was yeah. better. The you know, it's funny. A friend of mine came to visit from the poetry scene out there, and we went into a Jewel Osco or not Osco. I'm so old. I yeah, said right? Jewel Osco, a Jules. It, yeah, you would have said the Jewels if you the were really Jules. Old. Yeah. yeah, and we went to the Jewels, and uh, and he walks into the produce section, and he picks up an apple, and he goes, "Is this an apple?" <laughs> Because it was so huge, and yeah. like we do such right. messed up things right. to our food, right? When I when uh, I had friends from Germany come in, a bunch of poets, they, they were the national champions at the time. They came to do a show with us. Um, they really wanted to go to an American supermarket. They were just so like funny. that was the one thing they wanted so to do. Funny. They're like we want to see the Michael Jordan statue out in front of uh, United Center, oh. and we want to go to an American supermarket. <laughs> Those were the two things they asked about. That's and so sure funny. as shit, like we walk in and they just go, "It's so big. Why?" Yeah. Why, why do you need 15 different types of bread? Yeah. No, it's crazy. Because, like, when you do your grocery shopping out there, I mean, there is, like, if you take the Aspen to the end of the line, mm-hmm. there is, like, a Nikea and oh, sure, a, yeah. a Target, I think, maybe, and some other, a couple of other big box stores. But in Munich proper, like, you do all of your grocery shopping at these teensy little yeah, shops little, yeah, littered around. I mean, it's just a different. And I liked it. I liked, I liked the way it felt like my life. It just felt so much simpler, you know, mm. simpler, pure, healthier. I, I don't know. And yeah, I think I think I can get back to that at some point after I get through all this nasty mess we just yeah. talked about. Maybe. And I don't know. Maybe I'll become an expatriate. I don't know what's going <laughs> to. I was I was thinking about this. Uh, we were watching the show on TV with the time travel and the whatnot. And I was thinking about it. Like, <laughs> when was really the best time? Like, when did I really peak? When was really the best time in my life? And I often go back to living in the house on Monticello. Mm, right. Mm-hmm. But I also forget yeah, but you were a 
fucking mess when yeah, you, you know like sure. it's like man we had it was the best time of our life and everything that wasn't partying was a complete nightmare every day all day but, every day but i think like it's not just like when is the best time in your life right it's I think there are best times for different things. Sure. Like that was probably your most prolific time as a writer. Certainly, certainly. And the largest amount of growth in your writing. Your writing certainly, became yeah. something much, much more yeah. complex yeah. and nuanced um, during that time. And so so for writing, sure. Like for physical and mental well-being. No. Like probably now. Probably now <laughs> is the better time. Uh, yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's like, when was the best time of my life? Like as a mom, as a writer, as a, and they might be different times, I think, but, but I really, I did like that Munich stint. That was pretty badass living out there. Do you have a title in Brent in mind? Uh, I have a title. You don't want to say it. I don't want to say it. I understand. I totally understand. I'm always scared someone's going to steal it. Um, I have like, I do. I have like, I'm like have terrors about like sharing anything because people are like greedy and uncreative and they'll just poach some shit. About like once a month I get an email that says, hey, this domain you bought is going to be renewed. And I was like, I bought that domain. Like I used to just, and I still do (laughs) I had I every like time I get an idea, I, yeah. I've got, I've got like, That's so I've got like funny. 15 of like different things that yeah, like, yeah. This, like I bought three different domains for this show before I decided on busting out. I bought like all this different stuff. Um, I just, every time I get an idea, I'm like, get it, copyright it. I own it. Yeah. You know, and then I just forget uh, same, about it, but same. it happens. Yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. That's so funny. It's weird. Uh, any uh, any parting words before we head out of here? Oh gosh, no! It was it was fun. It was Man, fun it was it's so good you. to see you. Yeah, it really really too. is, and um, I I feel like I as much as I don't I'm not gonna get mushy about it, but like we really I really do <laughs> owe you a debt of gratitude oh. in a lot of ways. Um, just for the fact that you put enough things in motion that I was really that really benefited my life. I think, that and then makes you know, me super happy. Yeah, twenty years from now I'll feel differently. I'm sure, but right <laughs> <Yeah>. now, <laughs> like back twenty years I'll be like Andy Strickland. Piece this of garbage. One. She started this thing. Um, and that was before my leg fell off. Well, <laughs> <laughs> or whatever, right? <laughs> uh, well, I'll definitely come back after. I'd love to have uh, you after back. I finish the project. You I should... might have to come and do some FaceTime with you about the, love the real deal. What happened? What I'd, happened back uh, when? Uh, we could talk. We could talk about a lot of things. And if you want to uh, transition it to any cor- any other medium like audio or anything like that, like we should we yeah. talk about it. Because yeah. I'm producing a whole bunch of shows right now, and I suck at that kind of stuff. And so I, I somehow got good at that because I was always the uh, guy. I was the poet who could. Show you're up the on tech time. Guy. <laughs> I was like, it's true, but you're also like multi-talented, and that's also you. it too. Is you've got the music and the sure. tech stuff and the DJ stuff, and the, you've you've got you're you're a nice mixed bag of tricks. Jack of all trades, you master are. of none. That's me. Uh, this, uh, this has been Andy Strickland. My name is JW Basilo. You've been listening to me a whole bunch, but uh, you've been listening to Busted Mouth on Q4 Radio every single Monday from 12 p.m. to 2 p.m. Mostly, generally, and so uh, we <laughs> listen to records. If you want to find uh, this particular conversation in the future, you can always find it. At, uh, at the Busted Mouth Podcast, P-O-D, what? I'm not going to spell it. Uh, yeah, the Busted Mouth Podcast. Go find it. It's everywhere podcasts are found, uh, including in all the songs we play on this record or on this uh, show are also available in the Busted Mouth 3 Son of Busted Mouth audio companion playlist if you want to listen to a free playlist and hear some cool rock and roll songs that I pick out just for you, mostly for me, but also for you. Uh, we're going to do it. And speaking of cool rock and roll, because I'm awesome at transitions today, uh, it's uh, it's going to be this tune that I've just been feeling and uh, I just have been feeling it. And that's what it is. This is an important one to me. <laughs> Darling, don't you go 
Just the other day.